Hey everybody, this is Graham Telsch and this is episode 73 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie selected specifically by our guest that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. Hope everyone's having a great week out there. Happy Thursday to you. Uh, you may have noticed we did not do a Beyond the Screens this week because Sunday was the 4th of July and ended up getting caught up in some 4th of July antics. But we'll be back next week with Beyond the Screens uh, to talk about last week's Friday Inquiry and this week's Friday Inquiry, among other things. Uh, but I hope everybody had a good 4th of July as well, didn't blow themselves up, that sort of thing. Of course, if you blew yourself up, then you're not listening to this, but, you know, you get the idea. Last week, I talked about uh, how the idea of having two guests on at the same time was originally brought up by Alex Kunka, uh, who has previously appeared on the podcast. And you, you're hearing that name again because he's my guest this week. Obviously, he wanted to come back on and uh, we couldn't make the duo work, but he came back on by himself and brought a wonderful comedy, probably one of my all-time favorite comedies with him, which is 2009's I Love You, Man. And if you have not seen this movie, I highly recommend it. We say it at the end of the episode as well, but we both really recommend checking out this movie. It is a fantastic comedy. Uh, I've seen it several times before, and it still makes me laugh out loud. And to me, that's the mark of a good comedy. And I, I realized, and I've said this before on the podcast, I realized while I was watching this and while we were recording our conversation, I don't watch enough comedies. So I, I really need to get back into watching more comedies. I always tend to go straight for sci-fi or thrillers or that kind of stuff. And I, I really need to start consuming more comedies, but they also need to be putting out good comedies. So anyway, uh, here is Alex and I's conversation about I Love You, Man from 2009. Great movie. Great conversation. Here we go. I need to read more novels and I've I've gotten really bad in the last five, ten years about my reading. <laughs> I was doing really well until a couple of weeks ago. I was like I was making progress through a novel and then like a week a week or two ago I, I stopped reading it. Are you, I need to pick it back up. Well that's the other thing. Are you actually reading it or are you doing audiobooks? Oh no, I, I don't do audiobooks. Thank I, you. I can't I can't focus on an audiobook the way I can on the the written word. I've just discovered that about myself that I I don't do audiobooks. Like my comprehension if I do an audiobook is so low compared to actually sitting down and reading. Yeah. I get that. I'm I'm the same way. I can't do audiobooks. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because I'm working on several audio dramas now and it's like it's fun reading the script yeah. and performing, but if I were listening to it, I just my my <laughs> comprehension would not be as strong. <laughs> right. So how you been? Uh, since we last recorded? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Got engaged. COVID. Moved to a new house. Um, looking for a new house already. Uh, should be married in a little bit more than a month. The issue with this house is not the house itself. It is wonderful. Really cool build. It's a, a bi-level basement. It has a fireplace, which is awesome. But we are within two or three miles of a steel mill. So you can hear a blast furnace going off randomly. And when I mean blast furnace, I mean what they use to melt the steel. <laughs> it is extremely loud. And uh, we have a bottom, bottom half of the house is brick. Top half is the uh, siding. So it just, it goes right through that siding. Mm. Not only that is how do you deliver steel by train? By, so yeah. we hear trains all day and night, sometimes two or three in the morning with that burner going off at the same time. And, oh yeah, I can, I can sleep through it a little bit. I, I have some noise canceling up to kind of help grab it, but that's still, that's quite a bit of noise pollution going on. Yeah. Now, are these houses you've bought or rented? We purchased this one. Oh, that's okay. no. That's okay. With with the current house market, the changes we've made, I can't say we're going to increase our value, but it's almost going to net out to be zero. Gotcha. Um, other than, of course, like the appraisal fee and things like that. That's a few hundred bucks we're out or a few thousand, I guess. Uh, a few thousand is definitely nothing to scoff at, but... Uh, We'll see. <laughs> All right. So, so I have to ask, um, it's actually in my questions from the, the movie. Uh, how did you propose? Cause you said you got engaged since we last talked. How, how, what, what was the proposal like? Uh, it has to actually do with the house. So I had it in my mindset. I'm going to propose on the same day that we signed for the house. 
Uh, I still have a house in my my name uh, linked with my brother. Actually, after this, I have a phone call um, with loaning officer to, to get that refinance so I can get my name off. Uh, so she actually had to sign for this house by herself. Oh, luckily no. she has wonderful credit. She doesn't have much to any uh, debt. Uh, same with myself. So the current plan is to get my name off the other one, help sell this one. Both of her names will be on the other one with the same last name. Um, <laughs> back to the proposal. It was a grueling, probably six months of looking at houses. I want to say close to 40 or 50 houses. It felt like this isn't just looking at 40 or 50 online. This is physically going and seeing them. <laughs> and then with it, if not that same day, the next day that house was either pending or we were forced to, you either have to make a bid or you have to pull out of the house. Right. Uh, so we got lucky. We saw this house. We hated the town that it was in, but we're like, oh, it's on the outskirts. Maybe it's good. It seems nice. Saw the house twice very quickly. Never heard a single train or the blast furnace. Uh, <laughs> Just hit yeah, it at it the wrong quick. times. <laughs> the, the back deck actually had a dog ramp. So mm-hmm. it goes from the second floor to the ground. Uh, they had a little tiny dog. We saw that and we're like, that's awesome. We have a dog. We don't want her using those stairs. So this, this house seems destined to be ours. Uh, we went to sign for it. The current owner said nothing about the sound. <laughs> of course, I, I wouldn't either. And I probably won't when we go to sell this place. And then we signed for the house and I said, hey, I got dinner plans. Let's go ahead and run home, uh, drop everything off, and then we'll run to dinner. <laughs> I had a friend pick up some roses that I went ahead and bought and she dropped them off at the, uh, the condo we were living in at the time. And she actually hid the ring in the roses in a fake rose. So like the top of the rose popped open and the ring was in there. She hit it right in the middle. Uh, she hit it so well that when we walked into the uh, condo, my now fiance saw the flowers and was like, how the hell do these get here? I'm like, Oh, well I had somebody drop them off. She's like, Oh, that's cool. In her mind space, she's freaking out. She just signed her life away to a house that, right. again, we now know what, what it involves <laughs> and has no idea why these flowers are here. She just thinks it's a congratulations. So I, I didn't waste any time. I went up to the flowers. I knew that where the flower was. I knew it was the fake one, pulled it out, and right there in the kitchen proposed, right? Not even an hour after she signed for a house. <laughs> <laughs> that's sweet. That's, that's yeah, really little- nice. She was definitely taken aback, but at the same time, again, she just signed for $100,000 of debt at least. So she's like, oh, I don't know what to do. And then uh, the dinner we actually went to, which is was a nicer restaurant called uh, Cooper Hawks, if anybody's heard of that. I actually invited both of her best friends and their husbands, uh, and she had no idea they would be there. So it was kind of like a, a small engagement party, literally the night after we signed for a house and I proposed. <laughs> So that that's on par with the uh, the proposal in the movie. So good job on you. A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> Got to be a surprise element for sure. Yeah, I, I, part of the reason I wanted to ask you, and thank you for sharing that. I was I was a little afraid Absolutely. you'd be like, "That's personal. I don't want to share." But um, I, part of the reason I wanted to share that is because you said you picked this movie because of kind of what's going on. Um, oh, I picked this movie for several reasons, but right. yes, it brought it all forward. But you and I are coming at this movie from vastly different directions uh which is which is going to skew the conversation so i wanted to make sure my listeners had that context of what your engagement was like and where your mindset is because it's (laughs) it's a very different place than i'm coming to this movie so wait everything i've planned for is now in the trash is that what you're saying (laughs) (laughs) you don't plan for anything on this podcast (laughs) i have a few notes but nothing too crazy yeah yeah all right well let's go ahead and get into the movie uh you have picked i love you man from 2009 written by john hamburg and larry levin directed by john hamburg starring paul rudd jason siegel rashida jones sarah burns jamie presley and john favreau among you could be listening all day yeah exactly i cut it i cut it at john favreau because it's like i I could be here all day exactly right will you marry me yes peter already booked the place we went for that long weekend so romantic so romantic she doesn't know she's on speakerphone that's where you guys had sex for the first time right wow marry him lock that tongue down girl so you're not gonna have a best man um here's the thing zoe peter's always been a girlfriend guy all his dude friends just fell by the wayside why is it weird that i had girlfriends nothing we're just saying you never really had a best friend is all well who's your best friend your brother robbie What's up? He's about the coolest guy I know. 
So what do I do? How do I meet friends? If you see a cool looking guy, strike up a conversation and ask him on a mandate. Okay, you know what I mean? No. Casual lunch or after work drinks. You're not taking these boys to see The Devil Wears Prada. Oh God, I love that movie. I'm Peter Clavin. I'm the realtor. Sydney Fife. Hey, check out these two. That guy needs to fart. He does seem to be clenching. Watch the leg. Boom. He farted in my open house. He sure did. I'm thinking it might be a little bit small. Totally, and it smells like fart. Hey, Sydney. I could be in Venice by five. I can do that. It's a mandate. This is a mandate. He's the most beautiful dog in the world. In your plastic bag? Or... Oh, no, I don't clean up after my dog. Damn it! How about cleaning up after your dog? You mind your own! <laughs> What the f Society tells us to act civilized, but the truth is we're animals, and sometimes you gotta let it out. Try it. Ah! Respect the process. Ah! Yeah, you feel better? Yeah. Wanna eat a corn dog? Yeah! Let's go. So what do you guys do for seven straight hours? Ah! Yeah, Pete! So is he your best man? It's way too early to tell. Sweet, sweet hanging. So I think instead of starting with how do you describe this movie, we'll get to that in a second. I, I want to go ahead and jump to why did you pick this movie? Because as you said, you have, I mean, obviously there's a wedding at the heart of the movie and you've got that going on. But you, as you just said, you've got multiple reasons that you picked this movie. So why not, why not get into right. that? So uh, of course the wedding and trials and tribulations of everyone you talk to when you're planning your wedding says, yes, do what's right for you. Do what's best for you guys. Do what makes sense. And then you tell them your plan and they go, well, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> and literally, that's one of the parts of this movie that it doesn't really dive into the wedding planning too much. Thank God. Because yeah. that is a disaster. That, that's trainer. a separate movie altogether. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but that brought that to the forefront of just how comical that idea is and how that could have fit into this movie so well. But really, the, the other thing that brings this forward is actually the bromance of it. This was the first movie I saw. I was... Uh, what would we say 2009? I was 19, 18 when I saw this. Oh saw it in God. theaters. I know, I know. I saw it with my best friend who is actually going to be my best man at the wedding as well. I also have a very strong bond with this movie with my brother that you've also had on, Luke. But what's so funny and the other connections that this movie makes that no one will ever have, the, the personal experience I had with this movie is so unique because literally hours before we went and saw this movie in theaters, me and, me and Max, just him, we went putt-putting um, with two of our other really good friends and we were just, it was a, a night putt-putt place where it's dark in the room and everything's glowing or I guess a glow putt-putt, whatever. And our friend Jeremiah gets hit in the shin really hard with a golf ball <laughs> because one of us is goofing off. What and are the so, odds? <laughs> and then literally we're watching this movie and then the, this is my nightmare part comes up and oh my God, we both looked at each other like we just witnessed this. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't have been perfect oh perfect. that that is beautiful that is beautiful but it also just again cemented that that bond i have with max and, and how good of a friendship we have because we're watching this movie and like oh my god you do this oh my god you do that uh the whole time mm. all right so how do you sell this movie to someone who has not seen it how do you describe it to them in a way that makes them want to see it when you have two hours because this movie is actually kind of long sit down and watch ant-man hang out with that guy from forgetting Sarah Marshall <laughs> learn to have a bond over divorcees and selling houses. Um, and really rush. it's and rush. That's for sure. <laughs> um, which I never got into, but that's a different story again. So you mix that in and you're watching a bromance spawn between them two while uh, Ant-Man. I'm going to keep saying Ant-Man because that's more fun. I know Paul Rudd is from other things. A lot of people are going to remember him from Friends way before this, which I didn't see Friends till after this. Anyways, watch them blossom and have a true friendship over Paul Rudd not having any real friends. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Paul Rudd in this movie, um, you know, when I sat down to rewatch it, I was like, on one hand, he looks younger. And on the other hand, he, he looks like he hasn't aged a day. Right. And this came out in 2009. He was born in 1969. He's five years older than me. He was 40 when this movie yeah. came out. But it feels to me like this movie is supposed to be about like some 20-somethings. I kind of agree. But at the same time with that LA setting, with having the financial stability to have a wedding in Santa Barbara, which mm. if you just Google half of that word, <laughs> you're going to see 
hundred thousand dollars come up, something like that. Because of course we looked around, we thought about doing destination as well. That's not a thing. Um, <laughs> but no, you're right. But they are both established adults. She's running her own small business with her two friends. They're thinking about expanding. You find that out in the first few sentences of the the movie that hey, a second shop would be really good if I sold the Frigno estate, which again, you're like, Hulk's in this? What's happening? <laughs> you're like, is this a Marvel movie? Yeah, let's let's real quick uh, interrupt your thought process for just a second. So as we said, uh, so you have um, Jane Curtin, J.K. Simmons, Andy Samberg, uh, Rob Hubel, uh, Lou Ferrigno, as, as you said. Uh, Jake Chandrasar shows up for a scene. Uh, Joe yeah. Latruglio keeps showing up. Thomas Lennon. I mean, it, it really is uh, a huge. SNL, it's Brooklyn Nine Nine. It's a little bit of everything. It, 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 what's funny is it's it's a lot of Parks and Rec because almost everybody yeah. in this appeared in Parks and Rec. But you're right, it is a very much Brooklyn Nine Nine as well. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously with Andy Samberg and Joe Latruglio. This is one of his most calmest roles, by the way. Andy Samberg is not. He's playing eccentric, of course but he's not being Andy Samberg. Yeah, no, he's he's very subdued compared to any other role he played. Now, he does get to be quirky because he is yeah. the, they establish early on that he is the gay brother. Yeah. Um, and he's- Made and, the dad a honorary homo this month. Right. Which, one of the things I liked about this movie, revisiting it, is there are so many comedies that I have have watched recently or watched for the podcast that don't age well because of uh, slurs against homosexuality or, or other content. And this one ages pretty well. Even even that line, like that line about made dad an honorary ho honorary mm -hmm. homo, kind of made me cringe a little. But then it was like, no, it's it's actually okay in the context of the way it's it is. And one of the reviews I looked at suggested that the reason Andy Samberg's character is gay is so that they can get away with some of kind of the the borderline gay jokes that they're making with these the bromance and the the man dating and that kind of stuff. But the, I don't I don't yeah. feel like that's the point of that character. No, I agree. Um, I I fully agree with what you said, saying like this was. Looking back, this wasn't a movie that was slandering it. It actually was helping push it forward. The yeah. comedy works well, doesn't feel offensive in any way because they're being true to who they are. They're open about it. They're comfortable with it. The dad is comfortable with it. How many situations do we see that where that is completely the opposite, where the dad is enraged and doesn't consider him a son anymore and things like that? So I was very welcome to this and I thought it was hilarious and just very well done. Oh yeah, I mean, dad. Dad is considering uh, considers that that son one of his two best friends. Right. Exactly. <laughs> they did wonderful there. So you're coming at this from a point of view of kind of connecting with the wedding and uh, kind of bonding over this movie with your best friend and with other friends. I, I'm coming at this from almost the opposite direction, and and I remember this being true when I saw this movie in 2009 as well because I saw this one in theaters. I forgot to pull up my old review for the critical review parts, but I'm I'm sure I, I know I liked it. Uh, I'm sure I didn't have anything clever to say about it, so that's okay. But I don't have not more a clever lot than this movie is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a lot of friends. Um, really? I, I, in fact, I have I I have almost zero friends. I, I mean, I have like I have work friends. I have acquaintances. Yes. Facebook friends, which I would consider acquaintances. I have friends online through things like you know recording audio dramas and recording podcasts and and World of Warcraft and that kind of stuff. So I mm -hmm. I have people I know. But Paul Rudd's line, you know, I got to get some fucking friends. It, that resonates. And I like, I've quoted that on Facebook. Like I've just thrown that line on Facebook because I, that <laughs> resonates with me. It resonated with me back then. It resonates with me now. And it dawned on me while I was watching this movie that if I got engaged today, I mean, my first question would be who the hell are you? Because I'm not in that kind of relationship with anybody. But if I got engaged today, I wouldn't, I'd, I'd be in the exact same situation Paul Rudd is in. I wouldn't have anybody to call to be like, like, I just had some really good news yesterday and I didn't have anybody really to share it with because, oh. because I don't have that. So it's, it's interesting to me. See, I don't see the movie. I mean, I do see the movie as like a bonding type experience, but I also see it as a very, very true commentary on the difficulty of especially grown men making friends. 
you Absolutely. Know, that, there, that there's no rules for it and that there's no guidelines for it and that it's hard to meet people. And, and like, I feel that part of the movie very strongly. Right. So you, you actually, that brings up three different separate things. When I first <laughs> moved, when I first moved back to Cincinnati, sure. I had my, my, my old friend group from high school. We've all stayed connected. Thank God. At one point I tried to push away and be like, Hey, I'm living in Florida. I don't need you guys. That was me being an asshole, and I'm going to admit that now on air for everyone to hear. <laughs> I, could, I was 20. I didn't know what I was doing. I thought I was making a new life and starting fresh, not realizing that that was a solid friend group, and I need to hang on to that. And I still see them almost once a month, I, I would say, um, which is awesome. But two, uh, the other two things it brings up is right when I moved back to Cincinnati, I wanted to find people that I was more friends of things that I was interested in at that time. World of Warcraft was definitely still a part and will always be a part, but also I was getting into Dungeons and Dragons more. I was watching Critical Role. Uh, we had a, uh, a campaign that we were restarting um, here in Cincinnati, and I was ending my campaign from Florida because I, we couldn't do that at the time. This was way before COVID. And I started using, I don't remember the app, but it was an app for finding people that you're interested in throwing Frisbee like I like to do, like playing D&D. And I went to, or I attempted to go to one or two of those events and they flopped. Either people were no shows or no one ever responded. And I wasn't the one creating the meetups. Uh, actually, that's the name of the app. I was just going. And I think that maybe meetup does work better in other cities. Cincinnati is still uh, a little slower on the graduating uh, country as a whole. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. And then, and then part three of that is I'm, in my lower thirties, uh, my fiance is uh, just two years ahead of me. Not a big deal. Uh, but she has a similar experience where she's bounced around. She's made good acquaintances at work and, and things like that, but solid friendships, which she does have, she has two or three very solid friendships. Uh, and of course they'll be at the wedding. Thank God. <laughs> she had the similar thing of like, if we have the wedding that I had in my head, I would have nine or 10 groomsmen to her two or three, like it just wouldn't equal out. So it's, it's definitely no offense to her. She's a great human. She can make great friends. It's, it is just extremely difficult to find somebody that you connect with on that level. Yeah. And, and I mean, I've had very close friends in the past, but I feel like, I feel like I, like I look at my life in kind of segments. Like I've, I've been married, uh, twice, uh, maybe you don't want to talk wedding and, and marriage and stuff with me. <laughs> Reminds you, me of the, uh, from the failure, wedding right? singer song about take off your shirt, take off their shirt before you break up the fucking band. Um, <laughs> uh, but, and, and I feel like when my life has gone through points of transition or moments of, of conflict or, or whatever, that that's the point that I've lost some of those close friends. That is that, that I think it's really hard to find true friends who stick with you as opposed mm -hmm. to fair weather friends who, when the going gets tough, they disappear. Right. Well, we all have large events that happen in our world. I mean, hell, most HRs at different companies will let you change your insurance based on life events. Right. I feel like friends also take advantage of that. If I can change my friendship status at this life event, I don't, think I'm going to be here anymore or, or, you know what, I'm going to double down. I'm going to help you move. And then I'm going to help you come paint things like that. That's a brilliant way of putting it. Exactly. And I guess I just, my luck of the draw has been changing their friendship status or just falling by the wayside. I mean, that's, and that happens with all of us in life, you know, as we just have, we have friendships that just, you just lose touch, you know, yeah. especially as you get into bigger transitions, like, you know, kids, uh, or, or changing, like, as I said, I mean, uh, uh, some of my friends are, are work friends and when you change jobs, those don't endure, you know, they just right. don't last. So, Absolutely. so anyway, I, I'm coming at it from a very different place than you. And that's, that's, I mean, and that's a good thing. There's, there's nothing right. wrong with either one of our experiences that we're bringing to it, but it just means the movie is, is meaningful in different ways. It works on multiple different levels, depending on what aspect of life you're coming from and what age. And I think that's that's part of the brilliance of it and part of why I do think it holds up is because it 
it can work on those different levels, you know. It, it, so I, I, I think this is a brilliant comedy. I've, I, I've always been a fan of it since I first saw it, I, I, and I had not watched it in years. So thank you for picking it because it was so. <laughs> I mean, it just cracked me up to sit down and like there were parts of it that I, I know I remembered, but I still laughed my ass off at. Like when, yep. when he finally, when the wedding finally does happen, and he's had to pick some groomsmen, his wedding party makes me laugh so hard when Lou Ferrigno is part of it. Like it's the others, it's kind of like, okay, he picked them up along the way kind of thing, except for, you know, the Thomas Lennon character, which is like, what were you thinking? But, uh, but <laughs> Lou Ferrigno being in the wedding party, just I, literally, I was laughing out loud at that part. Absolutely. And this movie is my kind of comedy too, where it's, it's obvious comedy. That's what I call it. Where the one time when they're doing the boat race, and then afterwards, he's like, oh, yeah, that guy's a dick. Talking about John Favreau playing the perfect asshole. Oh, my which, God. He's so good at that. God, he's so good. He's like, but Paul Red says, yeah, that guy's a dick. I, I threw up in his face like a lot. That is obvious <laughs> comedy. We just saw it happen minutes ago. But him stating it, reinforcing that he knows he did that is just so funny to me. Well, and it's in the line delivery. And that's, I mean, Paul Rudd's line delivery in this movie is so on point that just he is so good at these cringy awkward deliveries like <laughs> trying to get in on what was the trend then and, and kind of the trend now of trying to shorten words or you know even just trying to give this new friend a nickname you know that the the, yeah. the pistol pete nickname came like like that and yeah. he's trying to match it and cannot i mean he comes up with jobin calls him city slicker you know and just cannot for the life of him come up with this and it's just you are laughing but at the same time you are feeling so awkward for him and, and it's all because of his performance like his delivery is just dead on yeah me and my friends often use uh, jobin or see you on the menjays or i'll see you there or i'll see you at another time <laughs> that's confusing i don't know if you're coming or not <laughs> right <laughs> yeah the see you on the menjays i'm just like what the I don't even know what that was trying to be. <laughs> and again, he just tries to shorten it because he's flustered. He's found a friend and he's nervous and, and worried and excited about it. And typically, again, we associate that with uh, relationships that we consider to be uh, passionate or romantic. But you can have that with friendship as well. Yeah, and I think that's part of the brilliance of this film is treating that idea of male friendship like a romance. You yeah. know, that, that from the awkwardness of him trying to make the phone call or trying to build up the confidence to make the phone call to call Sydney. Yeah. And then the, the, the incredibly awkward voicemail that he leaves Sydney. <laughs> but to even that relationship kind of dominating all others, which happens yeah. in romantic relationships and, and the awkward, the breakup. I mean, it all, it goes through the romantic relationship cycle in the movie. And, and that is kind of a commentary on what our relationships in real life are, even if we don't recognize them as such. Yeah, it, that's actually a good point that you said. I was I kept thinking about the jealousy aspect because Doug is so jealous that he's with Sydney. And again, that's kind of playing with the, oh, this is humor for, for people that are attracted to the opposite sex. No, it's just humor for humor's sake. Yeah. And, and again, jealousy happens for everyone, whether it's friendship uh, or relationships or anything like that. But the thing that you just said uh, came back to the forefront of he's pushing away from Zoe as well. Yeah. Because he's found another friendship. He wants to invest his time into this. And it's not because he doesn't love her, but it's because he sees something worth developing. Yeah. No, I, I made an, I actually have several notes that are like, oh, here's a line drawn to this because yeah. it's it said early on the movie, early on in the movie that he was always a girlfriend guy Yeah, that he would, he put more energy into his relationships than his friendships. That was me. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, that was me too. And, yeah. but then we see that, you know, as his friendship builds and like they go to the rush concert and mm -hmm. Zoe is so obviously a fifth wheel in that moment and it's like oh this goes back to that comment that was said at the beginning which is he's doing the exact same thing with this friendship that he did that he's done all his life with relationships he's putting more energy into it and it's costing him with his relationship with zoe and and i, I think that's that comes to a beautiful head later on in the movie after he and zoe have almost broken up and stuff and the the line he says to her about uh, out of all the girls you're the only one who wanted me to have my own life 
Yep. And it's almost a commentary a commentary on as you said jealousy and how every relationship has a bit of toxicity to it because you want that person for yourself. Yeah. And yeah. Zoe doesn't. Right. Zoe wants him, but she also wants him to be his own person and he's not used to that. And and I think that perpetuates a lot of what happens in this movie because he doesn't know how to deal with that. Yeah, and when you have a bond with someone and you spend that much time with someone, you start seeing aspects of yourself, or maybe you don't, but other people start seeing aspects of, Oh, you guys are similar. That happens with me and my brother all the time. We'll giggle about things that aren't even funny because we both see it in the same perspective and then look at each other. So <laughs> I totally get that. Um, but while we're on the, the topic of Zoe and Paul Rudd uh, and their relationship, Ant-Man, Ant my bad Ant-Man. <laughs> uh, the, Scene right after the dinner where Sydney gave his elaborate speech. Oh God. One of the cringiest moments in the movie. <laughs> when I, I first saw I don't this think movie, she sucks his dick. <laughs> when I first saw this movie and even almost still yesterday when I revisited it, I felt like that, that fight in the car ends too abruptly. She, he actually wins the fight, which I felt was so strange when I was 18 19 years old i'm like guys don't win arguments with girls that just doesn't happen <laughs> but then to rope back in what you said and and what we already talked about at the beginning this is a mature couple they're a little established they can have open and clear communication that me as a teenager never got never had since then of course i've had at least one or two meaningful relationships clearly i'm engaged at this point um that has shown that that part of the movie can be true mm-hmm it's not that you're winning an argument. It's that you're conversating with each other to come to an, an agree, not even an agreement, come to the same level of communication. I think agreement is right. You know, it's, it, and it's, you're right. It's not winning. It's uh, coming to an understanding. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I guess, I guess maybe you're right that I, I, I know the first time I saw this movie, I definitely thought these were characters in their twenties. And as I said, Paul Rudd was 40 when this came out. But so they can still couples. looks 40, like you said, though. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that man, uh, whatever Dick Clark had going for him, Paul Rudd has picked up. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, and, and that's that's even even when they have the argument that splits them up, you know, it, you never get the You don't get the sense that they're broken up. You get the right. sense of they recognize or especially Zoe recognizes this is too big, big of an argument for us to deal with now. So let's take some space. It's they're, they're very maturely handle their differences. And it's, it's a refreshing thing to see in a movie because it very easily could have been, you know, screaming, throwing stuff type fight. And instead, mm -hmm. both of those arguments are very maturely handled. This isn't like friends. They're, they're not on a break they're just having an <laughs> argument. But no, you're right. And and again, it brings up the real life aspect of she goes to a friend's house to stay, but also to have someone else to talk to, probably bounce ideas off of to be like, why is he wondering this now? And, and how can I overcome this? And what, what did I do? Sometimes keep this in mind for everyone listening. It's not always what you do. It's what somebody perceived. Perception is such a strong word that you can't always anticipate or estimate what other people are going to perceive. That's why I always recommend strong and clear communication. Don't leave any holes in your story or in what you're trying to get across or the plans that you're making, because that's just going to make uncertainty and it's going to make somebody else worry or, or have false judgment of you. Right. Opens the door for misinterpretation, which yeah. happens again when they're at the rush concert. She's like, all kinds of guys were licking each other's bases. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and I think one of the brilliant things that the script does as well is it gives us a contrast. You know, it gives us this very mature uh, relationship between Zoe and Peter, uh, but it also gives us uh, the John Favreau, Jamie Presley relationship mm -hmm. where they fight and they bicker and they argue with each other in, in a nasty way. Yeah. But over the course of the movie, you realize you go from being very uncomfortable about it to realizing this is their dynamic. This is what works for them. And while there's a part of me that's still uncomfortable with it by the end of the movie, there's a part of me that realizes that they do love each other and this is just how they express it. Right. You watched after the credits, correct? Yes. Okay. Oh, man. For, for anybody that has not seen this movie and you're viewing it for the first time, make sure that you stay for during the credits, I should say, because there's a little extra uh, tidbit in there that, that makes that relationship a little bit more fun again. Right. Yeah. 
and and John Favreau is so perfectly cast as there's two Absolutely. there's two assholes in this movie two oh, two real I'm assholes. so glad you're gonna bring up the other one and and John Favreau is is perfect as this husband this this very a lot more machismo manly they play poker they drink beer type guy who just very clearly does not match with Paul like he is not the same kind of guy as as Paul Rudd I keep calling him Paul it's Peter um they're they're very clearly not the same type person so trying to forge a friendship there would be a fruitless endeavor in the first place he still tries but right. it's it's no surprise when it goes bad after you throw up in someone's face that friendship is over i it doesn't really matter the bond that you have yeah that's 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 probably a a good way of well, putting that it. early I've, on in trying to establish a friendship i should say yeah, yeah that's yeah that's done and the other one is uh uh peter's co-worker who they named tevin and I cannot think of a more perfect name for a douchebag than Tevin. Right. And sorry to the Tevins out there or anyone that has a more particular name. I have another one. I'll tell you it off air. That I don't <laughs> like. But you are 100% right. You could have gone with Kevin. You could have gone with Devin. But no, you put a weird letter at the front and did Tevin. And you're totally right. We all have that one coworker. Well, we used to when we were all in office or if you worked in an office, which <laughs> by the way, I'm in my first office job. I'm not going to really go into it too much. I've been there long enough to have that office person. That's like, Hey, I'll help you. I'm going to annoy you about it. And backstab you as soon as I get the chance. Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh, but man, <laughs> some of the things he does, like the scene where you are just outside looking at the street and you see the bench seat of Tevin. You're like, oh, what? This is only two or three seconds long. And then it literally goes into the scene of him sneaking up on Peter and tickling him. Who does that? No, and I know people no do. One. Uh, no one should. Right. Take this is an example for listeners. Don't tickle people ever. <laughs> Even if they say tickle me, don't. It's weird. But I love the fact that the one thing I do love about the tickling him is it shows him being kind of a jerk, kind of a douchebag without going to the old standby of having him be this misogynistic jerk. And I, right. I mean, there's certainly little misogynistic. He calls, you know, the coworker sweetie or whatever like that. Uh, but, watch yourself, big girl. Right, right. But that normally would be the focus for establishing that kind of characteristic. And mm -hmm. instead, they do it through, as I said, through his name, Tevin, but also through the park benches and the, the urinal cakes and, and just and tickling him and the, the porn he's watching at work. It, it just, it's a different way of developing that kind of character that's really fresh compared to how stereotypical they normally would do it. Yeah. And again, perspective comes into he he perceives himself as someone that's just being fun, lighthearted, doing little jabs, but they don't mean anything. They do. After a while, they build up. They equal a lot. And they equal those larger jabs or tickling. Yeah, he, he would have gotten me too. <laughs> oh, I would have I slapped him just like Peter did. And I love Peter's response of I just needed to cause you physical pain, but I've never hit anyone. <laughs> What do cannibals, secret codes, and scientists, sex wizards all have in common? They are all topics we've covered in episodes of Strangeful Things. We bring you a new story every week and do our best to turn you on to things you might not have heard before. We'll still hit the big topics sometimes too, but we'll always shoot to bring you a fresh perspective and our own special recipe of inappropriate jokes no matter what we cover. From true crime to cryptids to conspiracies, we'll tell you stories about stuff that's weird, gross, scary, and neat, sometimes all at once. That's why we had to invent the word strangeful. See, Murder, Bigfoot, Ghost Net, Inslaw Things is a terrible show name. Oh, and the show is not for kids and definitely not safe for work, unless the place you work at is super chill and cool. To subscribe... Visit strangefulthings.com or search for Strangeful Things on your podcast platform of choice. That's Strangeful Things, making weird shit fun to hear. Let's get into the critical side of things, because and then I, we got to talk about Jason Siegel because we haven't talked about him oh yet. But let's first let's so look important. at the, the critical side of things. It sits at eighty three percent at Rotten Tomatoes, uh, seventy four percent audience score. So it's a pretty well liked movie. Seventy percent at Metacritic. Uh, positive review comes from Roger Ebert. 
big surprise there, uh, who writes, and this is taken from different parts in his review because he made such good points throughout the review. I felt like I needed to kind of paste it together. So he writes, I would like to have a friend like Sidney Fife. I think a lot of guys would, even though it's funny, charming, and lighthearted, that may be the most basic appeal of I love you, man. Sidney represents the freedoms most men hesitate to give themselves, maybe through fear of ending up alone, arrested, or locked inside behavior that looks fun when you're young, but crazy when you're older. The great thing about Sydney is that he lives your fantasies so you don't have to yourself. Jason Siegel plays Sydney as a man thoroughly comfortable in his own skin, an unapologetic hedonist who uses his intelligence as a comic weapon. Essentially, the whole movie is based on the fact that he is able to create an actually plausible human best friend. I think he's a natural for Walter Matthau, and both Siegel and Rudd would be perfect for a SoCal retread of the classic British one-upmanship comedy School for Scoundrels. And I'll note, it's interesting that Ebert said that about Siegel and Rudd doing an update of School for Scoundrels when it had been remade three years prior. It came out in 2006 uh, with John Heater and uh, Billy Bob Thornton. I have definitely heard the movie several times. I still have not taken the time to sit down and watch it. So that's on my naughty list. It's not fantastic. Uh, <laughs> and, I, and I'd and i like to see a Jason Siegel, uh, uh, Paul Rudd version of it. Yeah. So, so real quick, before we get to the negative side of things, yeah, this is... This is the perfect way to interject. It's great to have that friend that you're able to talk about everything, even masturbation. If it comes up, <laughs> have somebody you're comfortable sharing uh, some of those uncomfortable topics with, because we, we were born and created into a society where there's things that we shouldn't talk about. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't always talk about it. You can express that with people. Just make sure you're not getting heated arguments, and things like that. Well, and some of those things that society says we shouldn't talk about, we should. Yeah. So it's okay to talk about money. It's yeah. totally fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah, real quick, the negative uh, side comes from Nick Shager from Lessons of Darkness, and he writes, I love you, man, is amusing enough in its formulaic, visually blah way, thanks in large part to the chemistry shared by Rudd and Siegel. Rudd inhabits Peter with his usual brand of wimpy everyman snark while adding small traces of pitiful insecurity, and Siegel undercuts Sidney's self-possession with hints of doubt and loneliness. More importantly, the leads bring unpredictable verbal wit to drearily limp incidents. Really, is rocking out to rush all that funny? Though no matter the number of amusing quips, Hamburg's film still ends up feeling like a tossed-off Judd Apatow photocopy. And you're shaking Again, your head no. Haven't seen the other movie, but no. Uh, no, I loved actually one of the points it made where Sydney is comfortable in its own skin. He's happy, he's healthy, and he, well, healthy is a different word. <laughs> but he's very happy with who he is, and he wouldn't mind a friendship, but he's not looking for anything serious. And then he finds himself in a serious friendship. And that's where, again, that doubt comes in and the uncertainty of, I don't know what's happening here. It's because he doesn't want to go through that. Yeah. Just like we don't in our, our real life relationships, we don't want to go through a friend passing away or moving on from us. Yeah. Uh, and that's, and that's a review. I, 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 and both of them really talk about the, I mean, the performances are great. I disagree with this being a Judd Apatow photocopy, um, but I, I wanted to put that in because a lot of what comes up later in the algorithm says is kind of guided by that. So I think there are people who definitely agree, given that they watch this and they watch a lot of the Judd Apatow stuff, but both of them really hit on Siegel's performance as Sydney, And yeah. I, I love Sydney, this, this character oh God, who yeah. is his insight into other people, like his ability, like when we first meet him, he's at the, the, the open house for the Ferrigno estate yep. and, and eating he's the reading the room. Yeah. He's, yeah. yeah. Eating the paninis, but he's reading the room. Like the guy telling, telling Peter, you know, that guy has no intention of buying the house. He's here to impress that woman. He's going to have to fart. Look, and they watch him <laughs> and it's like, Oh, and I, I love his matter of factness, like the masturbation station in his, mm -hmm. in his man cave, you know, that it's yeah, just, this is normal. Yeah. And it, and it is a normal part of adult life that we don't talk about. And Sydney is not afraid to just embrace it and, and approach it so matter of factly that it's, that it's really refreshing. Yeah, I completely agree. And, uh, and this is, oh, man, this was right after or during how I met your mother and his kind of popularity. Yeah. And this was, I think, one of the first things other than how much mother I saw him in that I actually recognized him. He has uh, kind of disappeared. I mean, he's got some projects going on, but I, this made me realize how much I missed seeing him on screen because I loved his character and how I met your mother. I loved forgetting Sarah Marshall. I loved his take with the Muppets. And, and yet he's kind of disappeared from the spotlight. And it's like, well, that's a shame because what Siegel brought to the screen 
very frequently felt honest and genuine mm -hmm. and and something that was absent and lacking and and now it's even more lacking because he's gone he's not there doing it right i i do agree that uh i, I honestly can't tell you the last movie he came out with um but yeah he's he's disappeared and, and it's great to see paul rudd being able to be lifted um possibly due to this movie i feel like right after this is when he boomed yeah but you're right forgetting sarah marshall which was just the year before Mm -hmm. what what a wonderful movie which again has the, the same kind of comedy it's so perfect and after the year we all have had we're now in 2021 we need more comedies and that's <laughs> another reason why i picked this movie because oh my god the laughs are so genuine and it's just so perfect but i would love to see him come back yeah and, and it's it's not only just that the laughs are so genuine but i, I mean i think we both kind of hit it on it at, at the beginning is that there's something to connect with whether it is me coming at it from a standpoint of I got to find some fucking friends or you coming at a standpoint of this being a movie you've bonded over with your friends. Um, yeah. You know, there's, there's something authentic and genuine and heartfelt with this film that you don't often get in comedy. Completely agree. And that's why everyone should go make sure they have not, have not seen this. <laughs> The other thing I wanted to mention about Siegel, I mean, I, I again, I love his character, uh, you know, and, and I think Ebert saying it's, you know, he's hedonistic is like, that's not a word I normally would have just pulled out of my pocket to use, but damn, it is the right word to describe this character. You know, the, the fact that he knows what he wants out of life and he, and he is, it is played with an undercurrent of loneliness as he watches his friends move on because his friends are mm -hmm. moving into marriages and having kids and, you know, they can't just. Uh, like the hiking trip at the beginning of the movie falls apart. And then when he goes on the hiking trip, they they're all ready to call it a day at the end rather than come in and have a few beers. Um, right. and, and you, I almost get the feeling that there's a nervousness that he's going to see the same thing happen with Peter because yeah. Peter's getting married. I actually didn't get that from the movie, but that's a really good point. Um, because again, we've seen friendships come and go and, and, those people are evolving and the friendships need to evolve with it. And I think that's another reason why a lot of those fall off. That's why another reason why we see he's bought a six foot sub again, communicate Sydney. I know you want it to be a surprise, but let them know, Hey, I'm going to provide food afterwards. Maybe they would have changed their mind, but you can see again, they have evolved. They have different responsibilities and need to get to those. Yeah. He is not. Yeah. But he knows what he wants. He knows exactly. It's okay though. He knows that his, for what he wants, finding divorcees is perfect it gives him what he wants which is sex it gives him that that momentary connection with the opposite sex but there's no strings attached yep and he doesn't want strings attached so it's like i i love that that character is it, he's kind of the most unrealistic character in this because i don't know anybody who is that self-aware of their own wants and desires and so tapped into that and it's yeah i'd love to have a friend like sydney you know, Ebert I says do know that person. I'm, I'm not going to name them, today, but. <laughs> but his outfits in this film, <laughs> why is he wearing a scarf with a nice jacket while he's walking his dog on the beach? <laughs> <laughs> he's, I mean, it's just like, and I could not find any production notes about costuming or that kind of stuff, <laughs> but the, the, the way they dress Sydney in this movie is so outlandishly bizarre. Like mm -hmm. some of the, 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 he has a sweater vest on in one scene that just does not match the palette of anything else he's wearing. <laughs> but that's so funny you say that because he shows up to the wedding fully dressed. He's not wearing anything fantastical. He's dressed to be at the wedding. He's, he's there to do his best man role. Yeah. Well, so and he, he put in the effort and he obviously has a good sense of style because he's the one who directs Peter towards the blue tux. You know, yeah. that, 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 oh, you don't want to wear that standard tux. Uh, try the blue one. And that is the tux that he's wearing at the end of the movie. He's got an eye for something. I mean, that's, that's why those billboards went up, right? So let's talk <laughs> about that because I, uh, that's another aspect of the film that they, they very subtly build this idea. Yeah. And, and yeah. very subtly build this idea that maybe Sydney is a grifter. You know, that he's right. His card is, you know, Sydney Fife investments and what the hell is that? But they don't they don't overtly go for it. Like it's very subtle. And yeah. then suddenly it's a I have this investment opportunity, but my funds are all tied up. Could I borrow some money? And it right. doesn't it's it's almost like a 
a dagger to the chest when that happens because they've built it up so suddenly that you don't see it coming. And then so, the way that subplot is re resolved really, yeah, really continues to it. Like Sydney is not a bad guy. Right. And while they momentarily want to kind of do a little sleight of hand to make you think he is, he's not. Yeah. So I don't know anything about investments. I expect that you'd have to go to an office or dress up or look nice or something like that. You, we don't see any of that from, we don't see responsibility around him whatsoever, except for his business card. That is right. the most clean looking thing that he has on his person. But you're totally right. When he borrows $8,000, when I first saw it, I'm like, this is the turning point. This is the staple of the movie where he becomes the bad guy. Right. And it, it definitely hit differently when it, even after he returns the money and then you see that one last uh, little advertisement <laughs> go across the sky. God, it's so good. We don't see that side of him, but you know what else we never see? And this didn't dawn on me until I was, and I've seen this movie like three times now. Mm -hmm. We never see the inside of his house. No, we see the, the back. We just see the back building. The, the garage actually. So who yeah. knows who Sydney is inside the house like maybe right. he does have an office or maybe he has an office in his home or maybe like we never see okay. that side of him and i almost feel like that's a true commentary on friendships as well yeah that we we see the side of our friend who is our friend we don't necessarily see them in all aspects of their life we don't see them as the husband or the father yeah. or the co-worker yeah and i th i think the the movie paints sets up that sub that investment subplot by not giving us information about Sydney because Peter doesn't know that information about Sydney. Yeah. It doesn't mean that Sydney isn't a well-rounded character and that off screen, he's a successful businessman, which he says he is by the end of the movie, but because they withhold that information from us, because Peter's not interested in that information that really helps build that, that little subplot. Yeah. And that brings me to a question. Um, but right before that question, there is one hint to him actually being good at that earlier in the movie, which is, Peter's trying to sell a house and then Sydney busts through the doors and says, this house is exquisite. I'd like to make an offer. That is him again, digging into that. I'm a friend, but I'm also an investor side. Right. Which can come across as, as you said, a grifter. Yeah. Um, but that brings up a moral question of is, is what Sydney's doing for Peter here? Is that legal? What do you mean? The 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 jumping kind in to buy the house or falsely uh, saying that I would like to buy this establishment in front of clients that might actually legitimately be able to put money down on it? Oh no, that's not legal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is so not legal. Right. But no, that, it, that'd amazing. be the equivalent of of you know, I mean, small small potatoes equivalent of like putting something up on eBay and then I'll get. Uh, uh, Alex to bid on it so that the price yep. goes up for the people yep. who actually want to buy it. I'm sure people do that, but no, absolutely. All right. So what else do you want to talk about with this movie that we have not talked about? Oh, I have one more thing I want to throw yeah, in yeah. before you Go do ahead. that. The line. And again, this is where the movie is a beautiful commentary to me, which is after Peter and Sydney have broken up and Zoe asks Peter, why don't you just call him? And Peter's response is because guys don't do that. Right. And it's such a, a brilliant commentary on the the toxic part of manhood. Mm -hmm. Guys don't, you know, I mean, it's we don't talk about our feelings. We don't talk about our feelings. We don't, we don't kowtow to try and keep a friendship. You know, I mean, it's the, the stereotypical male is very much the John Favreau character in this movie. And even though Peter is not that character, he is still restrained by that mentality. Guys don't do that. And right. it's like, but you guys were best friends, like quickly, very fast, best friends, pick up the damn phone. <laughs> right. It, so to the guys out there, do it. Talk to your friends about anything, everything, relationships, friendships, feelings, things like that, because those are some of the best conversations I've had over the last decade. One of the first things I did when I moved back to Cincinnati, my friend Justin's like, hey, I got to go to Buffalo, New York for some business. It's about a six, seven hour drive. Do you want to ride with me? And I'm like, PTO in, let's go. And that was one of the best mini adventures because he got a chance to tell me how his life was changed, evolved over the last seven years. I got to share the same thing. And then we got to offer each other advice and just be that ear. And you know what? It only made the relationship better. We I'm sure. still talk, if not every day, every week, uh, we still, I live eight minutes from him now. So it's, it's important to have these discussions and you shouldn't ever feel bad about being able to have that. 
if your friend is making you feel bad about having that discussion, that's a different discussion you need to have with them saying, hey, I should be able to express myself with you. And if not, I'm going to have to take that somewhere else, which is not a problem for me, but I want to, I want to share that connection with you. Right. That's why it's important to me. Right. Yeah. All right. What do you want to chat about that we have not gotten to with this? You hit on a lot. Uh, one of the lines that, of course, Sydney says, and it's very quick, but when Peter's like, oh, I've put out a lot of things, I'm trying real hard. And then Sydney comes back with trying is having the intention to fail. <laughs> I have that yeah. written down. That line stood out to me so much. That one's so good. And and then back to, we don't have to shorten words. And I'm really happy that text is actually evolving again, back to people are using full words with grammar and punctuation. Oh, that's so wonderful. I just wish I could spell. But <laughs> <laughs> well, auto, auto spell fixes that for you. It just oh my often gosh, fixes the, picks the wrong ducking word. I, <laughs> I love dictation because when I come across that one word, I can't spell. I pull up text message. I use dictation and I say, oh, now I know how to spell it for about five minutes. But <laughs> this is another hint to other people that you do not have to create nicknames for your friends at all times because most of the time they're going to fail unless you're Sydney and you're used to doing it. Please stop. <laughs> In a way, it feels like Paul Rudd's already trying to spew dad jokes before he's even talked about ch kids and children which actually doesn't come up in the movie at all. I don't think except for nope. again, John Favreau and his wife, they're trying. trying to have a baby, which again comes full circle at the end of the credits. Uh, again, another sub story that they, they do really well on. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that the, I guess the baby part of it, of they're trying to have a baby. And then the, the information we get during the end credits, that's what made me realize the true nature of their relationship. You yeah. know, otherwise it just seems like this really bickering negative relationship, but you, you realize there has to be something truthful to that absolutely there's really only two other things that this movie brings to mind and one it's the word redonkulous i had never heard it in a movie but of course <laughs> i was using it back in 2009 and then when sydney says it oh my god again we looked at we looked at each other me and max we're like oh my god <laughs> um and then the thing that i absolutely hated that was a trend back in 2009 is when sydney kind of like ball taps him or says sack up and yes. ball tags him why was ball tagging even a thing? It was huge when I was in high school and I pretty much looked at anyone. If you hit me in my balls, I'm hitting you in the face. Like this is not something that I am going to be involved with. So, so you're saying not having friends back in 2009 actually worked to my advantage because I never had to worry about somebody tapping Absolutely. my balls. Absolutely. <laughs> Whether it be lightly mild or very rough. God, it was such a stupid trend and I, I really hope it's dead, but I'm not a child anymore. I don't have any kids that could be ball tagging other kids at school yet. So as a teacher who sees young people, it, I don't think it's dead. <laughs> God. All right, let's move into the end game here. First up, we have the algorithm says this is a list of uh, other movies that you will, you should like as compiled by various algorithms that you should like because you like, I love you, man. It's a lightning round. Your quick responses, whether you like these movies, you don't like these movies, you don't see how they're connected. You haven't seen them, whatever. Okay. Ready. All right. First up forgetting Sarah Marshall. Perfect movie. 11 out of 10. I agree. Also has Paul Rudd in it. Of course, in a yep. small Mila role. Kunas, um, Anna from frozen and from the good place. She's not Kristen Bell. She's Anna from Frozen. I got it. Okay. Yes. Um, role models. Uh, good movie. Okay. I have Relatable. not seen that one. Maybe a six or a seven out of ten. Okay. Worth worth a watch. You get a laugh at least. <laughs> Knocked up. And now you're seeing where we're getting that Judd Apatow influence. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't a big fan of it at the time. Same with the 40 old version, which I'm assuming is probably coming up on the list. Uh, it's still a good movie. It's still, again, all of these that you've named are at least worth watching once. Forgetting Sarah Marshall and I Love You Man are worth owning. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I own both of them, so I definitely agree. Wedding Crashers. I, I actually really like that one. Do you? Wow. Is this another one I have not seen? I still have not pulled worth, the trigger on watching Worth watching once. Um, I feel like if we revisited that now, which if you do, it's going to have a lot more cringier jokes because that was like 2006, seven. Yeah, something like that. Uh, so yeah, it was It's kind of like Starsky and Hutch remake is very much it was meant for that year and afterwards they don't care what happens to it <laughs> well and that's and that's something i was wondering earlier uh, thinking about this like I, i've seen knocked up i've seen a lot of these judd apatow movies but i saw them when they came out and i have not revisited them since then and i wonder how well they hold up yeah as so, we've matured hopefully yeah. as a country which stands Spe to be seen. speaking of maturing this is 40 this is 
Oh, I think I have seen that. I actually don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to pass on that one. That was the kind of sequel to knocked up that focused on Paul Rudd. And uh, I did see that. Yeah. A little forgettable for me. Clearly. <laughs> Obviously. Um, <laughs> I don't remember hating it. Okay. All right. Um, old school again, made, made for that year. Uh, I have seen it at least five times. I love it. It was, it was my introduction to Will Ferrell. I didn't yep. know him from SNL and things like that before. Uh, great movie. Well, and I, and I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. Will Ferrell was like, people did not like him on SNL originally, mm -hmm. like fans. He was like the most hated cast member or something. So it was, it was really in his movie career that he's really kind of taken off and become a superstar. And I, and mm -hmm. I do think that was like the first one for him. So yeah. Uh, the 40 year old virgin surprise. <laughs> it, it's a good movie. Um, not one I've revisited in the last decade. Okay. Step brothers. <laughs> Again, since I have a brother that I'm so close with. Yeah. Cause they look at each other. Do we just become best friends? I was just about to ask how many we times have you moments. guys said that to each other? <laughs> not as much as what are you doing? I'm burying you. <laughs> See, I have not seen step brothers. It's another one oh. of those have not seen this movies for me. When you get to that part, when you, if you get the chance to see it, you will laugh because it's it's both of them just being at the top of their height of funny. And it's not because it's super slapstick either. It's just because that moment, what they're doing is hilarious. Okay. Anchorman. Product of its time. Good when it came out. Uh, not good now. <laughs> uh, and then finally, the weird one, The Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> I enjoyed that movie, but... That's a long three hours. Um, I don't think it's one that's easily rewatchable, and I could be wrong. If fans want to write in and say stuff about that, feel free. It's it's worth it, though, to mm -hmm. see Jonah Hill's performance, to see him trip balls going down the stairs and getting in the car. Well worth <laughs> it. I don't I don't see the connection between that movie and this one, but that's like it. That was I was going through and like forgetting Sarah Marshall and role model. Okay, these all make sense. The, the yeah. Wolf of Wall Street. What? That's for being more serious more serious with comedic tones. It's, it's a one and done for me. I would, I would watch it once. I'm good. Okay. All right. We always end with pop quiz for multiple choice questions based Oof. on the movie. I better Are you ready? Right. I better huh? get them right. You better. I, I, this one's a tough one. I gotta admit. Oh, jeez. Okay. I'm ready. It wasn't, it wasn't intended to be, but we'll see. Uh, all right. Number one, the movie was written and started production under a different name. What was the original title? A, I love you, dude. B mandate. C, in search of a best man, or D, let's be friends. I want to, man, I feel like I've seen this. I actually think it's mandate. It is not mandate. It is let's be friends was the let's original title. Yeah. You know what? I think I've seen the poster now that I'm thinking about it that actually said let's be friends instead <laughs> of I love you, man. All right. Number two, I love you, man, was nominated for best kiss at the 2009 MTV Movie Awards for the awkward kiss between Paul Rudd and Thomas Lennon. It did not win, losing out to what other intimate moment? A, Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson in Twilight. B, Sean Penn and James Franco in Milk. C, James McAvoy and Angelina Jolie in Wanted. Or D, Vanessa Hudgens and Zac Efron in High School Musical 3 senior year. Got to throw that high school musical one to make it a little more difficult, right? <laughs> I actually, that's another one that these are hard questions. I actually think it's wanted. It is not wanted. What was your second guess? Um, probably Twilight because yeah, of the pop twi phenomenon. Twilight yeah. is what it, it lost to. Uh, of course. Uh, all right. Number three, <laughs> the movie has a repeat gag of Sydney walking his dog and not cleaning up after it, causing <laughs> someone to step in the mess and fuss at him. The third person to do this a woman, as Sydney is walking along the beach, later went on to become a rather big sitcom name. Who was the woman? A, Happy Endings Eliza Coop. B, Big Bang Theory's Kaylee Cuoco. C, Big Bang Theory's Melissa Roche. Or D, The League's Katie Asselton. C, Melissa yep. Roche. Melissa yep. Roche, yes. Which, I could tell because when I think back of listening to her voice, she does get a little bit more high-pitched, like she does use for Big Bang. Yes, yes. All right, last one. The end credits feature Siegel and Rudd performing a Rush song at the wedding. While Rush is not the band performing with them, it is still a well-known band. Who is it? A, Weezer. B, OK Go. C, Fountains of Wayne. Or D, The Dan Band. Uh, man, I, I thought I recognized one of them. I'm going to go uh, 
okay go it is okay go yeah. yes <laughs> they were real big back then and honestly their videos are still good now if you go revisit their music videos yeah, i almost never listen to their songs but every time they put out a new music video i have to watch it. that's how to experience <laughs> their songs because yeah. it's it is an experience oh yeah yeah almost a soundtrack to their video yeah and i mean they're god their videos are so creative yeah uh okay so where can people find you what do you want to promote hey everybody you can still find me at at the underscore kunka k-u-n-k on twitter uh, if anything comes up that i would like to promote or if you'd like to have me on as a ghost guest uh just reach me out to me there and uh yeah that's about it <laughs> you got a little peter there <laughs> for a and second a little, uh <laughs> hi peter this is sydney clavin background <laughs> Uh, the thing I love about that phone call, which I didn't mention earlier, is that that is that long, awkward phone call, and then he hangs up, and you have that long shot of him just sitting there in the cubicle, and then he goes, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It being zoomed out, again, just builds that perspective of he just fucked up. Yep. Yep. All right, man. Well, thank you for giving me an excuse to revisit this one. As I said, this is just, I, I love this comedy, and I... As I said, I find it so interesting that you and I are coming at it from such different vantage points. Yeah. It's a phenomenal comedy. Highly recommend it to people right. out there. I loved coming back for this. And remember, everybody, don't be a Tevin. So that does it for this week, but you can keep the conversation going throughout the week on social media. Share your thoughts about I Love You Man, or maybe tell me about a movie you'd like to come on the show and talk about. You can find me at Townhess, that's T-A-L-N-H-E-S-S, on Twitter and Letterboxd, or the show at Have Not Seen This on Twitter on Facebook, where at Have Not Seen This Podcast, or email me at Have Not Seen This at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, including next week's episode. This podcast is available through all major podcast sources. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome, as is just sharing the podcast with a friend and spreading the love. And if you like World of Warcraft or other Blizzard Entertainment games, be sure to check out my other podcast, Citizens of Azeroth, a World of Warcraft podcast, also available through all major podcast sources. Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and thanks to Alex Kunka for providing this week's conversation. Until next week, I'm Rave Telsh, and this has been Have Not Seen This. Be kind to each other. <laughs>